Randy Boyd had not made a shot in 21 minutes. Welcome to Views from the Clutch. I go by the name of Smart Alex. I'm here with my brother from another. C. Grant. And we're here to bring you episode 20. Yes, sir. Episode 20 of Views from the Clutch. Congratulations, bro. Congratulations. Word. Yeah, man. Racking them up like hot cakes. Doing our best. Doing our best. Um, we got an exciting episode, but before we jump into it, as always, I want to take the time out to say thank you to all of the followers, subscribers, people that comment, provide us feedback, everyone that's been tuning in and showing us support. You're all appreciated. As always, if you'd like to send us a message direct, you can email us at viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. You can visit our Instagram page at viewsfromtheclutch, our Facebook page at viewsfromtheclutch. And on that note, episode 20, how are we going to start this? Yes, sir. Let's let's start out with um with Spain. Um, Spain winning the FIBA World Cup, uh, the the same tournament that Americans placed seventh. Seven. Uh, that's the Spain that was consisted of Ricky Rubio, who actually got the MVP of the actual uh, World Cup, and it was Marcus Saul was in it. They beat they beat Argentina. Uh, mm-hmm. about 20 points, actually 90, 95 to 7. And Marcus Saul is, I think, the first player since Lamar Odom to win an NBA championship and win a gold medal or a FIFA Cup uh, in the same season, the same year. Yep. So that is um, a good thing. And uh, Rudy Fernandez, they used to play for mm-hmm. um, is... Homesick Rudy. Yeah, so... Yeah, actually, he's the second second player to win an NBA title in the FIFA World Gold Medal in the same year. That's when L, uh, Lamar Odom did it for USA Basketball and the Lakers back in 2010, so nine years ago. Um, that's that, just, that applies to Gasol, right? Gasol yeah, Gasol did. I'm sorry, my bad. Gasol did. And uh, that was, like I said, it was kind of wasn't really much of a matchup. And um, it was actually... It was kind of like some old timers, almost some old familiar faces that always used to give, they give teams nightmares. Uh, it was Marcus Saul, almost kind of Argentina's number one player was uh, Luis Scola that used to play mm-hmm. for um, a number of teams, but that always had a yeah, lot of he's post like moves. seventy six years old. Yeah, but he was he was averaging about nineteen twenty points. Oh yeah, so, yeah. No, no, I'm not taking away from what he was doing on the court. I'm just saying, like, dude is he's uh, he's air up there old, like. Louis Scola been in the league three times. Oh. And three eras, three different eras, you mean? Yeah. Like he was in and out of the league in three different eras. Like that's I mean, that's more credit to to him remaining solid, but it's also a reminder, like, yo, dude is not young. Like mm-hmm. I think he played against the dream team. <laughs> right. He's not that he's not that old. I mean, he looks old. Yo, I just checked out his profile. Yeah. Why is this dude born nineteen eighty? He looked like he was born in 1908, like not 1980. But that's crazy. Like he was born in 1960. Right? Exactly. Like right. black and white TVs when he was born. Yeah, man. So you know, good for him. Yeah, yeah. definitely. You know, um, no takeaways from from Spain when the, they've been one of the top teams in basketball worldwide for quite a long time. They played the United States for a gold medal with the what is what did we call them the Redeem team or whatever the case may be whatever they were called the Kobe mm-hmm. the Kobe Lebron that that 
that huge conglomerate of stars that we sent back over there. The one with Melo. Yeah, the redeemed team. Yeah, yeah. No, you yeah. said it. The redeemed team. You're right. And we actually had a close game against them. So yes, sir. It's not as if you know we we blew the doors off Spain. No, um, no, no. Spain's always been a tough matchup. I mean, they even had Sergi Baco on that team too. So they were, mm. they were, they were, they were, they were stacked. They were stacked as best as they could be. They definitely sent their best over. Um, United States finishing seventh. What did they clinch seventh for Serbia or something like that? Like, <laughs> just crazy. No, not, yeah, yeah. It was, um, it was the worst. It was definitely the worst place ever since they're using NF, NBA players. It was the worst in, in, in history. So basically, they started using professional athletes in 1992. So you're talking about, what, 37 years? No, it's 27, my bad. 27 years of uh, existence that they still using from the original Dream Team till now. This is the worst finish in the history of Team USA basketball when they use all professional players. So, so that just shows you. I mean, that just also shows you that the rest of the world is caught up and we can't, you know, and, and not, to, not to beat up on the Team USA too much, but it almost shows you that in a way, America can't be too arrogant anymore. You, you can't just expect, oh, we'll just throw any team out there. We're, we're NBA players. We're America. We're good. Nah, that's not how it works, especially when you're, you're having the, a lot of players who haven't really established themselves fully in the league yet. I mean, Kim, Kimbo was the only consistent or multiple-time All-Star on that team. So that goes to show you, well, yeah, you had Chris Middleton who made an All-Star team and Brooke Lopez – but those aren't guys that you can say they can work in, that are consistently a problem night in and night out. That you know those guys honestly made their all star appearances kind of questionable. Where some people said, "Eh, he deserved it maybe," but I could have you know I could have argued for somebody else. So like I said, when you you know when you're playing against other countries who have top notch players and they've been playing with that continuity, you just gotta. You realize you can't just throw anybody out there, or a bunch of twelve guys, and say, "Okay, you got NBA players, let's make it happen." You know, it doesn't work like that. So, uh, good like said. But congrats to Spain. You know, they put their work in and they got the results that they were looking for. You know, that's Ricky that's, Rubio. Yeah, it's, uh, well, he's he's becoming the Phoenix. He's gonna be bringing that championship experience to Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if. I don't know if you're being like literal or being facetious right now. So my <laughs> laugh is my laugh is just kind of like at the idea that that Ricky Rubio like in in is just world basketball and United States basketball. It's, it's really two different planets. Mm-hmm. Because Ricky Rubio is going to have unlimited jump shot freedom in Phoenix, and I'm pretty sure they tried to do that in Spain. But the nature of how the international game plays. He's able to, you know, work around it. And I'm hoping that, considering that we just did our season preview of Phoenix, maybe the coaching staff will see how he's deployed by Spain because that's the team he's been deployed in the most effective for in the entirety of his basketball career. Maybe they'll pick up something. Exactly. And be able to incorporate that. Now, again, like we said, the dimensions change. The court gets wider. The line gets farther back. So it's a lot easier to give a guy a lot more space. But, um, yeah, the fact that Ricky Rubio is effective enough on the world stage that he can be a tournament MVP and then come to the United States and be the afterthought 
on a team expected to. What would your projection? Would you say you had them at 19 games again, or you had them? Yeah, yeah I had them at like something crazy. They're like 19, maybe 21. Yeah, so these guys are barely gonna reach drinking age in 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 total total wins, and he's their leader. But again, the the the, the unique disparity between what is happening on the international stage and what's happening in America is just right in front of our face to to appreciate. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, what else do we have on the agenda? Congratulations to Spain. Don't take anything from you. You guys have been world champions before. So mm-hmm. uh, we also were talking about how uh, we wanted to um, tip our hats to a career of Sean Livingston, who announced the other day that he was actually going to retire from uh, playing in the NBA. Who mm. Sean Livingston, who was um, was drafted straight out of high school from with, by the Clippers in 2004 NBA draft with the fourth pick, and he's played 19. I mean, he played to 2019. Now he was out of the league for a little bit because he had that horrific knee injury. He uh, tore all then. three ligaments. I mean, I didn't even know a PCL existed until uh, he tore it. He tore yeah. the A, the M, and, and the, the P, along with, I think, like, dislocating the, the MCL. Yeah. Yep, yeah. This go, his patella and his MCL. And he was um, in a time frame where actually when it happened, they didn't think he was going to be able to walk again because yeah. the injury was so devastating. And uh, it was a game against the Bobcats in 2007. So... You know, it's one of those things where if people want to look at, you can always you. Uh, that was probably one of the most horrific injuries that I've probably ever seen, in, because you just you didn't expect the way he came down and the way everything happened. You just didn't expect that to happen for one, and two, when it did, you're like, "Yo, this kid is," you know, yeah, Bob Bless. I think I just yeah, I think I just yeah. witnessed somebody's career and right on, on TV. On so, yeah, yeah. So, but you know, shouts to him because he worked his way back. Uh, played on a lot of different teams. He played for the Clippers from 2004 to 2008. Played for the Miami Heat for one year. He even went into the G League for one year. Then we went to Oklahoma City Thunder. Played with the Wizards on two different stints. Played for the Bobcats. Played for Milwaukee. Played for Cleveland. Played for Brooklyn. And spent the last five years with Golden State. And he was very extremely good, serviceable backup point guard. Uh, so, like I said, he uh, he came big. He he became he had some big shots, big plays during pretty much all three of Golden State's uh, championships. So, you know, during he, that time frame, he he did it. Good. And he came back and manipulated and took advantage of his actual build to give him a serviceable and very deadly usage in the NBA. I mean, he arguably is one of the last great mid-range shooters. If you look at his shot chart from his return to inj- from injury leading out to him his retirement, like he literally took no shots outside of 22 feet. He was always inside of the, the dotted line. And to be playing point guard, Mm-hmm. And to be an effective back to the basket turnaround jump shot threat, that really is a harken back to a time in basketball that, that that's not really being played by anybody anymore. 
and to be as so effective because what what made Levinson so dope to me was that you you play against that you know that first five of Golden State uh-huh. and you're getting bombed on. You're running the close out. You're, you're trying to stop the guy from taking a wide open three. You know those guys are shooting threes left and right, and the the lead is just growing and growing and growing. And then burps up, here comes Sean Livingston, and now he's doing the opposite. It, it's so hard to prepare for that. It's mm-hmm. so hard to prepare for a team where the whole entire play style isn't uniform, and you got this one guy who he does everything a little bit different, but they find a way to make it fit within what they're doing. And I think he was part of that. Like he he was part of making Golden State really difficult to 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 resolve because. You go out and get guys who have Steph and Clay, make them have a bad game, and then Livingston comes off the bench and drops eighteen. Mm-hmm. And he's dropping eighteen against your 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 um, backups because remember his dimensions also make him very difficult to guard. Sean Livingston is six seven. Yep, wingspan almost seven feet. Yeah, and even with him really playing on one leg for the remainder of his the back half of his career. He still had bungees because he caught quite a few helmets in the Golden State uniform. Mm-hmm. A lot of his highlights that just, you know, showcases athleticism, a lot of them are from when he played, you know, for the Clippers because he was fully healthy. Let's not forget, Sean Livingston was one of the top, if not the top player in high school his year. He was scheduled to go to Duke, but because that was at the era where um, you could declare openly for the draft, he bypassed Duke. Absolutely. Got past Duke and went straight to went straight to the draft and winds up getting drafted by the Clippers. So he always had a pedigree that, you know, led to everyone thinking that I mean, there were people calling him like the next magic. Like he really did get a lot of pub as a high school player. So when he came into the league and wound up on the Clippers, you know, there was this belief that, oh, we got our big fancy point guard. I don't remember who they had on the roster at the time, but they damn sure did everything they could to get him on the floor. And he was so versatile and still is that even if he wasn't the point guard when he was playing on those Clippers teams, he was still effective. So Sean Livingston, you know, he's, he, he, he had a mind for the game. He always knew how to get in where he could fit in. He mm-hmm. always knew how to contribute well. Um, I remember his road to come back when I think it was, he played briefly for Brooklyn. Yep. He was effective there, you know. On his way back, he always he, he was never a minus. That, that, I think that's really what I'm trying to get to. Like Sean Livingston has always been a positive contributor wherever he. It's kind of it's kind of like bittersweet to see that 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 era of Golden State is truly over. Like those core guys that they built that that you have their three star top up, they're all gone now. They're all gone. Mm-hmm. You know? No, absolutely. Livingston's gone. You can die Memphis. Um, still have is Bogut coming back? I don't know. Mm, I, they'll I, find I, a way I to get Bogut a ten day. They'll find a way to get Bogut a ten day contract right before the finals and let him get another ring or something like that if he wants to play. Um, but yeah, like that. That really was a part of what made Golden State so difficult to deal with is that they had former starters on their bench and they were all capable of filling in and giving you buckets. Yeah, and so, the big thing about them was that was the key because they had the bench that could extend the lead and hold the lead. So yeah, that was, that's a very difficult situation where your bench players could, if not withstand the comeback from your team, but even extend extend that uh, lead 
So and with quality and, and almost like almost like their bench kind of played a whole different game. So you you're, exactly you're, you're trying to you're trying to um when you're scouting, you gotta scout almost like for two different teams. So it's like it, that was very unique and they all played off of each other. So when game sometimes with Steph or Clay, they could all interchange. So it was like, man, how do we you know, he said it was very difficult to watch, but it was fun to watch as a basketball fan, but difficult if it's your team playing against them. It wasn't there wasn't Yeah, it wasn't because there was thing. no I, I think the most savvy of basketball fans could watch watch their team play Golden State. And you could make the calls, like you could scream at the TV, yo, get ready, Livingston's about to post up. There's nothing you could do. No. If he if 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 Clay or Curry come off that split on the side that Livingston's posted, there's no way you're gonna stop that ball from getting to Livingston. And then Livingston gets the ball and it looks like he's super well defended. I mean, he's dribbling, the guy's on his back, and it's like, all right, well, the guy's guarding him, he's not short. He should be able to contest. I've seen Livingston hit that fadeaway with like hands up his nostrils. Like he just was so tall and had such a high release point for that jumper. And he had worked on it so much. There literally was nothing that you could do. You were just either there or you were watching it going. That really all it boiled down to. So again, I give a lot of kudos to, to Sean for figuring out a way to remain as effective as he did, considering what he endured to get where he's at. Exactly. So that's, that's definitely a career and a testament to the fact that, you know, like, Homeboy probably going to get a movie made after him. You know? You, you wind up a three-time champion after basically watching your leg disintegrate. Yeah, you, you, you need a, a Oxygen Channel movie, an Oprah Channel movie, something like that. So <laughs> I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure it's coming, you know, from, 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 from shreds to chips, the Sean Livingston story or something yeah. like that. Oh, man. You rough with them titles. I yeah, but I mean, you know, good, good for him. Like I said, he made, he made, he made a great deal out of his career. You got to, you got to be had to him because, like you said, to, to be able to just come back from an injury like that and still have the mental fortitude to excel and and want to come back, that driving, that hunger, and have that passion. You know, you could leave, at that point. You know, he was he was playing on borrowed time, so like you said, let him go out where he wanted to, and he was very serviceable and good for him. So, like I said, congrats, Sean Livingston. Like I said, three-time NBA champion. They can never take that away from you. And you, you you, earned it. You know what I mean? He wasn't just one of them players that sat the bench and got a ring. No, he contributed uh, a great deal. And, you know, and he was, a, he was a decent defender as well. So Very good defender. He was switchable, you know, yeah. in this era of being able to guard multiple positions. You had a one who could guard up to the four. Pretty much. So, yeah. So now, you know, I think that those were the two quick – uh, breakdowns that we want to talk about before we got to the the main topic of the the evening, which is we're going to talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers and their yeah so 2019-2020 season prospects. Yeah, so the preview for the Cleveland Cavaliers. By the time you guys had this one, we would have already had the the one for Phoenix, Phoenix out. Uh, so you'll have Phoenix. And you now have the Cleveland Cavaliers. This is, the, again, in the post-LeBron era. Some people that are fans might have, or that are not fans, might not realize that the team still exists. Uh, so, you know, I don't want to talk my shot too much. I'm, you know, as a Knicks fan, Cleveland 
has given us many of um, many a nights with his issues. But uh, how you want to break down Cleveland like this? What, what do you want to start at? Um, like we did before, we're going to go with what they left last season with um, and then go into what they currently have. So they, they, they started off last year with Tyron Lewis, the coach, allowed him to coach six games, fired him. Then they allowed Larry Drew, who was the assistant, to pick up and be the you know um, interim coach for the remainder of the season. He went on to go nineteen and fifty-seven. Thus, the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers finished with a record of nineteen and sixty-three. Yes, sir. And um, on that roster, they had quite a hodgepodge collection of players, mm-hmm. some of which didn't start the season there, um, but wound up you know being a part of the roster going into. So I'll go into who they have now, so that way it'll make it easier to deduct who's not there. So currently on the roster, and oh, by the way, um, after uh, Larry Drew's stellar tanking job with that roster, they rewarded him by abruptly not giving him a new deal and signing on the coach of the Michigan Wolverines, John Balon, who will now be the new head coach for the Cleveland Cavaliers. If you're not familiar with John Blaylon, he's very heavy on um, motion-based offenses. His his system brought us guys like um, Tim Hardaway Jr., Nick Stauskas, Karis LeVert. Um, who's about Trey Burke? Mm-hmm. So he's definitely worked with NBA-caliber talent and helped them develop to a point where they could be eligible to be on NBA rosters. Um, very good with guards. Very good regards. Um, tend to run a, a lot of, you know, college-based defenses, zones and switches and things of those like. But um, he, he actually did pretty well as the coach of the University of Michigan. They, they went pretty far a couple times. I think they actually got close. Did they play four championships? Uh, Tim, yeah, with Tim Hardaway Jr. and Trey Burke, they played for the national championship. And lost. But exactly. So he does have a, a, a reputable pedigree. Now we all know the typical – apprehension that comes with a college coach coming into the NBA. So, again, the odds aren't in his favor, but, you know, he will be leading that ship. And he will be guiding a roster composed of John Henson, Brandon Knight, Tristan Thomas, Tristan Thompson, Jordan Clarkson, Della Dova, Zizek, Seti Osman, Colin Sexton, Kevin Love, Larry Nance Jr., Darius Garland was recently drafted by uh, Vanderbilt. They also have brought in Dylan Windler from Belmont, Kevin Porter Jr., who I've got my eyes on from USC, Dean Wade, Levi Randolph. Those are all rookies. Jarrell Martin, who was a four-year veteran from LSU, and Alex Robinson. So that is what they have now. Um, obviously, some of the long, the long-holding guys are, are no longer on the roster and are free to move on, like J.R. Smith. Mm-hmm. He does still have a salary hold, so that salary hold comes off the moment that another team signs him. But for now, you know, the 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 highest paid players, Kevin Love, followed by Tristan Thompson, and then Brandon Knight and Jordan Clarkson with Larry Nance closing out at the fifth place with twelve million a year. John Henson makes ten. Wait, you said Larry Larry Nance makes ten million dollars a year? No, Larry Nance makes twelve. Whoa, his agent. Wow. Wow. Great agent. Larry Nance Jr. is not worth twelve million a year. 
Yo, I thought he was still on his rookie deal, but I guess not. But no, he okay. So even if he isn't, Larry Nance Jr. isn't worth twelve million a year. I don't. I don't. Me personally, I don't see it. I mean, I know he he averages a double double borderline. He's nine points, eight rebounds. Uh, let's see, almost a block a game, a steal and a half a game. This is all last year, by the way, and he didn't start. He averaged twenty six minutes a game. And he's giving you almost a double double off the bench. That's not worth twelve million in this years in, in this in this era of NBA. He's shooting seventy one percent from the free throw line and fifty six percent overall. I mean, I, listen, I tip my hat to him. He's a great he's a great energy energy guy. Uh, he's he reminds me. I mean, honestly, he plays like his father uh, in the extent of well, I mean, to an extent. Uh, obviously, his father played in the NBA as well for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, Actually, weighs the same number now. He changed his number to his dad's number to honor his father, which, mm-hmm. is, which was which was awesome. But I okay. Don't... So let's put it this way. Let me put it to you this way. Let's give you perspective, since we're playing GM right now. Do you keep Larry Nance's twelve million on your books if you can shed Tristan Thompson, or do you shed Larry Nance to keep Tristan Thompson? Who's making eighteen and a half? No, million no, a year. get get rid of Tristan Thompson. I mean, all right, he's, he's already things. showed you that. Yeah, he's he, he the he, spin cycle approaches. Yeah, he's got. Listen, he. Let me say this, man. And I don't. I don't want to down NBA players or whatever. But this, I mean, to me, it just seems like Tristan Thompson took the money and said, "I'm good." You know, he 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 was able to negotiate. His agent was able to negotiate. LeBron got him. Yeah, paid. that's what I mean. But. Even prior to it, because remember, Tristan Thompson came into the league shooting with his being a left-handed player. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, he worked in one offseason to change his whole identity to be a right-handed player. which And developed and develop nothing yeah. of consequence from it. His range still stayed within eight feet of the rim. He does not have a pull-up jump shot. He does not have a spot-up jump shot. He does not have a one-dribble off-the-bounce jump on people and get fouled. He literally, if he's not within six to seven feet of... I mean, again, it's almost like you're playing with twins. You have Tristan Thompson and you have Larry Nance Jr. It's just a matter of who's younger and more athletic. And at this point, it's Larry Nance Jr. I'm pretty sure that Tristan Thompson could go to a team like like you're pointing out where he's motivated and be that dirty work guy that he was for LeBron. But on a team like the Cleveland Cavaliers, where there ain't enough dirty work in the world to get you to where you actually want to go, which is to be playing in the postseason, I think that's the version that we got. Now, do I think he's dogging it to some extent? Yeah, I definitely do. I definitely do. Tristan Thompson at his max capacity, is he worth $18 million? Maybe for one season. Nah, I mean, I think, but you know what's crazy? I'm looking at the, the Larry Nance, Tristan Thompson. Tristan Thompson is only older by two years. Yeah, you know, but the thing is, but he's a lot more banged up. No, of course, no, no. no. But what I noticed that this Larry Nance Jr.'s contract, I'm looking at his uh, contract. He signed like a, I guess, a four year deal, but each each year the salary actually decreases. Mm-hmm. So. For him, he's uh, he's probably going to be able to stay on a roster. I mean, I would I don't know if he'll be in Cleveland for the duration of his contract, but if he's not, 
he's going to have a pretty much a friendly friendly contract. So that yeah, he's, he's got a very up. franchise friendly friendly contract, and it's him taking that deal. And I don't want to speak for him, but I mean, if you use any type of sense, it's obviously orchestrated so that trading him is something that doesn't seem to be beneficial to the franchise. Because when you when you when you trade out a guy, you don't want to trade out a guy whose salary is decreasing because the assets you can get back for him they tend to they tend to not be as good as a guy who's got a uniform contract for the remainder of it or a guy whose contract is constantly going up. So exactly. So he does have, he does have a franchise friendly contract. I think Tristan's is consistently at around 18 and I don't even know how many years he's got left on his deal, but, um, mm. but to me, it just seems like this is the year where Cleveland's going to start flipping assets. Oh, absolutely. So I, I can't anticipate them really like pushing for the fences, even with the nature of how the East has changed. And there's so many teams that are underneath the top three or four that could realistically have a shot at accelerating themselves upward. Considering we're looking at talking about a franchise that only won like 19 games. I don't see them pushing to try and get 40 wins this year. I definitely see that they're going to probably try to improve. I don't think they're going to put much pressure on John Bayline as a first time coach in the NBA to, you know, have expectations to get them to the playoffs, especially with, the type of players that they added. I mean, they added Darius Garland, who's a guy who, to be honest with you, nobody's really seen play. We've seen him in what, like maybe he had a Kyrie Irving like college career. Yeah. Where where he played very minimal games and even differently than Kyrie Irving because Kyrie got to play in the tournament. They didn't last long, but he got to play against, I guess you would call upper level competition in, in the college atmosphere versus Darius Garland. All of his games were against like, you know, seafood state and stuff like that because I think Purdue or Vanderbilt, whatever school he went to, they were in those first eight to ten games that the college teams play and you don't really play anybody. Yeah, so, yeah, the out of conference. Yeah. But from what I saw from his workout footage and, you know, his under under 18 U.S. footage and things like that, Darius can be compared in some facets to some of the things that Kyrie Irving does. He's very good off the pull-up, off the dribble. He's very good as a spot-up shooter. He's got a great handle, mm-hmm. but he's also, you know, very small. I don't know if he'll have that elite, I can't believe it's not butter, finishing level that Kyrie Irving brings to the table as, you know, as a finisher when he gets to the paint. But I can see why Cleveland reached for him while also still having Colin Sexton because Colin's rookie year wasn't, you know, all that spectacular. It wasn't bad, but he definitely had some rough patches. And in the NBA, it's all about shooting now. So mm-hmm. you see a guy who can play the point and can shoot, you grab him. Yeah, I just think that but the, the sad part about it is they're kind of log jammed at that. I mean, they're, 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 all the guards are like 6'6 six, six and under. You know, for whatever guard position they put put people at. They got Sexton, who, like you said, played his rookie year last year, but he wasn't a like. consistent – yeah, he wasn't a consistent shooter. Uh, it seemed like he didn't really make quality – I mean, obviously he's a rookie, so some of his passing and floor spacing seemed a little rough, rugged about around the edges. But I mean, you got Sexton, you got Garland, you got Brandon Knight, who probably is going to be their third guard, or 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 even Del or might push to start. Uh, but I mean, I mean, they're I think they would play their rookies because they're looking for the the um, you know, in, towards the future to figure out what they have. 
Yeah, because like I said, they got guys pretty much playing the similar positions. And I'm looking at their roster like this is – if this roster stays intact the way it is, this will be one of the worst bottom. Yeah, they, they will be at the bottom. They won 19 games last year. Nah, I see about 15 from them. Um, maybe – might even be a stretch to get 12. Uh, look at this roster way it's constructed right now. Um, Jordan Clarkson is a good six-man off the bench. No, he's he, not. I mean, I think he could be good for about a good 15, 14 to, 14 to 17 points a game. Yeah, he would because he's a freaking vacuum. Yeah, well, I mean. Uh, listen, taking yeah. this as a former, you know, he's a former Laker. And Jordan Clarkson never saw a shot he didn't like. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm saying that in the most complimentary way I can. He's a gunner in an era of, you know, floor spacing, passing, you know. Not too much dribbles or all that. Jordan Clarkson is one of those guys. He he, he's like Jamal Crawford without the ability to get himself free off the dribble. You know what I'm saying? Like he's got that wild herky jerkiness to his game where he can really do things that you don't expect him to do when when you're just trying to regular guard him. But he's not consistent, and that's part of the reason why he got traded was because he had that six man role to himself in Los Angeles, but um. He really, he really would have, you know, helter-skelter performances, you know? One night he'd go out and give you 19 on six for nine shooting with a couple of threes and some free throws, so on and so forth. Maybe even a few assists in there, too, because he came out of college. He was a point guard. Mm. But because he was an above average in height, you know, they put that combo guard on label, label on you. And some of these guys, as far as the talent goes, the worst thing you can do is tell him that they're a combo anything. And I think, I think him being told he's going to be a combo guard kind of like messed up his tra- career trajectory because maybe if he had been told to, you know, focus on being more of a playmaker type of player, his consistency wouldn't be so much of an issue. But because he's focused so much, he's erratic. He, he's just an erratic player. So... Yeah, he's good on the bench because he can't be trusted to start. That's 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 my take on Jordan Clarkson. Um, Kevin Love is probably going to come back and play, and probably play heavy minutes. So we're probably going to get maybe not the Minnesota Kevin Love as far as what he's capable of doing on the court, but we may get the Minnesota Kevin Love as far as usage. So it's going to be interesting to see because you said they're log jammed at the perimeter. Well, Kevin Love, Larry Nance, and Tristan Thompson are essentially three different versions of the same guy. One has a jump shot. Yeah, but Love at least give you a consistent... Love could give you a lot more points, and he could space the floor. Larry Nance and Tristan Thompson aren't spacing anything. Right, but you're going to get those eight to ten rebounds from either Kevin Love or... And that's the thing about Kevin Love. There's certain types of players that you can't put on the floor next to him, which is why he has so many issues when during the LeBron era, because LeBron needed Tristan Thompson. Kevin Love didn't. Mm-hmm. Yep. But if you take Tristan Thompson off the floor, now Kevin Love, for some reason, doesn't have the same he doesn't have the same um, threat that he does with LeBron on the floor. And I never could understand why LeBron just didn't use Kevin Love as his screener. But he loved to have Tristan do his screens. Mm-hmm. And that would force Kevin Love to be spaced out. So I don't know... If maybe a different coach, I mean, that's one thing I do give Baylon credit for. 
he's pretty savvy on the offensive end. So if there's somebody who can figure out how to creatively deploy those guys so that everyone everyone fits, I'm pretty sure he'll have it. He'll have something in place somewhere around like the 10 to 15 game level of the season. We'll get a good idea of what exactly is the offense principles that 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 Bayline is trying to instill in those guys. We'll know who the go-to guys are from the get-go because I mean, you don't have a guy like Kevin Love on your roster making 38 million dollars a year to not allow him to touch the ball 20 to 15 times, 25 times to shoot. Mhm. No. You know, so if, so if I'm Kevin Love, I I'm I'm probably going to go to the wrist doctor because I'm probably going to, you know, be be maxing out my wrist activity this year. I'm going to be doing a lot of chucking. So I look for Kevin Love and that $30 million salary to be to be used as a flip. Um, well, I think all pro- the guys we just ne- mentioned are probably going to be probably traded. Jordan Clarkson, Tristan Thompson. Uh, Clarkson and Thompson probably more so because they'll be expiring contracts. And Thompson's an expiring contract? He, should, he need to be. I don't know if he actually is. Yeah, he is. 18. 18 he's due $18 million this year. $18.5 million this year. So. And he doesn't, have, he doesn't have a salary for next year? No. Mm-mm. Okay, yeah. So Tristan, yeah, Tristan should be already. I'm pretty sure he and his agent have already. And isn't he a clutch sports guy? He might be. He might but, be. Um, he could be looking for a buyout. Nah, he definitely is not looking for a buyout. Tristan yeah. Thompson, he. I think he's gonna he, take that bread. Eighteen point five. That's a lot. Yeah, he's not. He's not letting that go. He's gonna play out that season. He'll yeah. tell him to trade him, but he's not taking a buyout. He doesn't love the game that much. And remember, he has a baby by a Kardashian. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah. And plus, plus, like the reality is, you're taking a buyout and doing what? Like, there's no team that can use you, you know, because your skill set doesn't equate to. Yeah, the you're, way not the you're not going to the Lakers. You're not going to Lakers. You're not going Doc Rivers. You're not going to Philly. Yeah, I don't think Doc Rivers has any use for you in um, in in. Yeah, I mean, Clippers. well, for six for six fouls, yeah. But on that Clippers roster, I mean, yeah, they are thin as far as the Burley big guys front, go. Yeah, front court, yeah. But, like, do you really want him and Montrez Harrell in the same locker room? No. No, no yeah, yeah. It's two, two polar opposites. No, like, you want that. Yeah, no, no, of course. So, like I said, it's going to be um, – but, they, those, like I said, Kevin Love, it's always been rumors since last year that Portland could make a run for him. Uh, I don't know if that would ever happen. But, like I said, it could be a situation where this is going down the, the drain – and season's kind of just season just went to 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 craziness, and Kevin loves actual a trade or his agent goes to a trade, and they work Here's on some a scenario for you. Mm-hmm. Here's a scenario for you: take a token high salary guy from the Oklahoma City Thunder, slap him with Chris Paul's contract. What do you get? You get forty some odd million because twenty eight million from Kevin Love, he's making twenty nine basically. Mm-hmm. Tristan, who's making 19, so 29 and 19 is 48. 48 million. And Chris, you know, Chris Paul's got that 42, 40 some odd million dollar deal. Yeah, there might be a three way trade. It might be a three way trade from a team who feels like, you know, we're that one guy away. I don't know how. I mean, we'll get to that when we get to the Thunder, but the, the emancipation of Chris Paul is going to be a very curious story to follow for the. The, the, the 2019-2020 season. Back to the Cavs, though. Okay, so we've covered pretty much their perimeter issues and now their front court issues. Um, let's talk about some of the positives. I like Seti Osman. Seti Osman played in the FIBA, and he actually was decent for Turkey. Mm-hmm. 
he's got a he's got a little bit of a um, Kyle Corver with with a handle type of game to him. He, he's pretty good with the spot up shooting, but he's he's good off the bounce as well. So I think that um, that he's got a decent NBA career ahead of him. I mean, LeBron always liked him, mm-hmm. so. <clears throat> And you never know, having this tournament play during the summer, he might step into this season more aggressive, ready ready to uh make a name for himself. Yeah. So- it's gonna be it's gonna be curious to see who Bayline puts the keys into because you gotta give the keys to two different people on your offense. You gotta give them to, to you know, your interior guy and then you gotta give it to one of your perimeter guys. And considering what he's got going on on the perimeter, Seti might be a, a nice stable way of Keeping keeping the ship steady by having him be the focus rather than put it on one of those guards and then create a bad situation in your locker room. But with one guy saying, "Well, why why is he getting all these minutes and why is he getting all these touches?" So you know, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, Brandon Knight's making fifteen million too. So, golly, yeah. But he he's been kind of derailed by a lot of injuries recently last couple of years. Uh, but I mean, even when he wasn't injured, he, oof. Like I said, this is going to be a tough team. But I, I think um, – Brandon look, Knight is still recovering from a concussion. Do you recall the concussion and when he, when he sustained it? Mm-mm. Okay. So he was playing for the Pistons, right? And Chris Paul comes down the court. He was on the right side. And uh, I think it was like a pick and roll. And DeAndre Jordan just goes, you know, flying to the rim. Oh. <laughs> and, 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 and Brandon Knight decides, yeah – Six two and a half versus six eleven, with arms that extend to the top of the stadium. Yeah, I could block this, and he mm. proceeded to get one of the worst helmets in NBA history given to him by DeAndre Jordan. That's right. I mean, That's shout right. out to the Clippers score guy. Who's like, oh me, oh my! Like, and he landed on his head. Mm, and, mm, and then, and then I think Chris Paul stepped over the the, the carcass. And then DeAndre Jordan walked down the court because he got fouled too. Yeah, it was an one. I remember. Oof, how could you forget that? Golly, that was so, one of those things where he just felt bad for the kid. I mean, you, you say like Chris Paul has to do it. Played for the Clippers in four years, so Brandon Knight has been in in, in the uh, NBA concussion protocol for like four years. <laughs> yeah, right. It's probably the last time we seen him on the court anyway. No, he he came back and got like random like. The trajectory of Brandon Knight has been crazy. Like he's been all over, but unknowingly. Like he played for Phoenix, played for Milwaukee, played for yeah. Detroit. Wow! Oh wow! Yeah. He's 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 been some places. Never anywhere where yeah, I think he even might have had a, a a stint on the Rockets. Let me double check. Let's that see. was surprising, but yeah. yeah I mean, to, okay, he's got Detroit, Milwaukee. Phoenix, Houston, yeah. Cleveland. Yeah, before he got to Cleveland, he was in Houston briefly. Wow. Played 12 games there. Yeah, wow. I know it wasn't bugging. That's crazy. So, yeah, yeah. So, so what do you see? I mean, okay. So what projections do you have them for win-loss? They took – somehow they were given 19 wins last year. Um, I got to do a caveat prediction. Roster staying intact, I got them at. 15 to 18 wins. Mm. If they if they bottom out, okay. Then we might be looking at a 9 to 9 to 10 win team. 
Meaning yeah. that if they start doing salary dumps and moving guys because, you know, quote unquote, these guys deserve to play. They're, you know, they're in the, you know, those token speeches that GMs give when they basically say, this guy wants to win, so we can't keep him here because we know we ain't got a chance in hell of doing it. <clears throat> yeah, man. <laughs> um, as far as style of play, I really don't have much insight, being that, like I said, John Bayline's a coach was coming over from the college game. And yeah, with the hodgepodge roster, I really don't know what he's going to be able to cook up. I mean, the modern NBA requires that you run at least some pick and rolls and a bunch of pin downs for shooters and so on and so forth. So I'm pretty sure we'll see that type of activity, but I don't know if they'll have. They don't have a roster that 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 warrant that that justifies a three point shooting team. Well, you got Seti Osman, who's a pretty good three point shooter. You got Darius Garland, who's projected to be a good shooter. Um, you got Kevin Love, who is definitely a, a good shooter. So you've got three shooters within your top 10 players. You can run a shooting style offense if those guys are going to be the ones that are getting those catches and shots. It's not far-fetched to say that they can go out and, and, and do that. I, I don't see that as being an unrealistic expectation for them, but agreed. I mean, can you really afford for them to try and be like, or can they really afford to try and what be like the San Antonio Spurs were, where they basically ran everything inside of the three-point line and still managed to get to what the sixth seed in the West? Again, huh. with, with knowing that Cleveland can't possibly be motivated or talking anything playoffs. If anybody in Cleveland right now is talking playoffs, as far as like front office personnel. Like, I guess they're preparing to go work for somebody else because you can't look at this roster and realistically have expectations that, oh, yeah, we'll be up there with with, with the upper echelon of the East with, with this team that we're putting together. You have players who played amongst those guys, but definitely not assembled the way they currently are. No way. Yeah, no, I, I, like I said, I, I just don't see it. I just, I, I'm looking at their roster, and I'm like, I don't see – you got uh, too many, too many uh, unproven guys, too many guys that, like you said, it's just this is a mess, man. I'm look, I'm looking at this roster, like I don't see, I've, I don't see twelve. I see maybe twelve wins, and that might be like dog. You might be being wild, generous right now with the twelve win thing. Yeah, right. because I, I, I really looking at their roster and like, matter of fact, let me see it. I had this schedule up earlier just to kind of, kind of get a gauge on what their schedule looked like, upcoming schedule looked like. Where is it at? Uh, I'm gonna look that up real quick. Are they allowed to have a schedule? Yo, it's. I mean, Cavaliers is the Cavaliers. Like you said, post LeBron, this is what's, what they're gonna have to deal with. It's not, it's not anybody's fault but themselves. So. Uh, one of these things where what's the schedule? Schedule. Uh, what's the schedule? The other news, one thing that we didn't bring up. Speaking of their former coach, you realize that Tyron Lue got an assistant gig with uh, the Clippers, right? Yes, sir. So we're looking at that team is pretty much doing everything they can to gear themselves for a, for a deep run. You don't add a guy like Tyron Lue to your bench as an assistant without the expectation that you're really going to be competing for the fences. So big ups yeah. to them on that side note. And, and congratulations to Ty Lue on finding a, um, a safe landing spot after that whole situation played out in Cleveland. Because the way mm-hmm. he was let go was, was kind of really, really weird. 
yeah, he yeah, actually yeah. he actually was pushing to play the veteran guys to try and start winning, and they were like, "Bruh, no, yeah," and fired him. And what's ironic is that he was playing veterans to win and was still on six. So it was almost like that situation had to like come to an end. It's just unfortunate because you you would think that as a coach, when you come off of coaching a guy like LeBron, you know, I want to be able to prove my mettle without having the safety net of the greatest player in the league or whatever the case you want to call him, the top five player in the league, to see if I actually really have some acumen. But Tyron Lue proved, no, nah, man, I'm here for the veterans. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. But, I mean, just running down how their schedule looks like the first, like, five or six games, it – I mean, uh, they, they open they on the road against Orlando. That could be iffy, maybe. That's probably that's a loss. Iffy. That's a loss. That's a loss. Then they play Indiana, but Oladipo's out. So that's, that's a loss. Be, that's the first home game. Then they play Milwaukee, you know, that's a loss. They play Chicago, which would be their game four, but that would be their second second um, home game. Told then, you I'm really high on Chicago. That's a loss. No, okay. So then they play Indiana again on the road. That's loss. a loss. Then they play Dallas. That's a home game, so that's going to that be... That might be their best shot at a win to open up the season. Uh, well, they play, they play... Let me say this. They do play Boston, and then they're at Washington. So that Washington game could be... There could be a, they, they could be a fight, too, uh, for a win. And then they play the Knicks in Philadelphia. And like I said, that Knicks, that Knicks game, too, could be a fight... But everything else, I can say. So we're talking. We're, we're talking at best for them in their first twelve games, pretty much, or ten games. Their first ten games, at best, we're talking about two wins out of ten. Mm, not necessarily off a good start. Uh, but if they were to win two games in their first ten, do you realize that puts them? If they win two out of every ten games for eighty-two games, they would win. Two that repeats eight times. They were sixteen. They would win sixteen wins. Nah. That's, well, yeah, I mean, obviously, so we're being I, overly generous right now. Exactly. Mathematically, so, guys. Mathematically, this is all. Please don't take us super literal right now. We're just saying from a mathematical <laughs> perspective. Um, yeah. Again, like I have them roster currently constructed fifteen to nowhere near twenty. Close to twenty would be the ceiling, super ceiling, and. And they would probably deserve to give Bayline coach of the year. Give him a raise. Well, I mean, if, if that was to happen, you, a couple of things would happen. They would possibly have a rookie, a potential rookie of the year on their team. Um, they would also probably have made the certain, made certain trades. And the guys that they traded for, they have uh, been get rotational players that actually stepped up and played. Other than that, Yeah. And that's what's weird because they had guys who made sense and they let them go. Like they had Alec Burks who was really not able to get much space to develop in Utah because Donovan Mitchell came out of nowhere and then he was also hurt, but they let him go. You know, they had, they had guys who could slide in and like you could build, they had Rodney Hood. They flipped Mm -hmm. him to Portland for, Whatever they flipped them for, I think they draft pick. I think they got draft picks. So they had serviceable players in serviceable player spots. They just proceeded. I mean, we haven't even spoken about John Henson, who makes ten million dollars a year, has worked on former North Carolina Tar Heel, 
who, who worked on developing a three-point shot, tall lefty. You can't shoot over him. He, he's one of the better shot blockers in the league. He just doesn't get a lot of minutes because, again, his game isn't really versatile enough to hold water and stay on the floor. But that just goes back to what we're saying. You've got all these guys who are not duplicates of each other, but they're all playing against each other for the same type of position and the same type of contribution that they're going to bring to the team. Yeah. It's weird. I, we didn't speak about Ante Zizek, who's, who's, who's a big center. Like, is he going to start? Like, what, what, what's going on here? Yeah, but, I mean, it's probably a reason why we didn't talk about him. I think, like you said, I mean, you, you'll probably start. I mean, if you've got Tristan Thompson and Larry Nance or something, they're probably going to start one of those guys. Or John you probably Hanson. start both. Yeah. That's what I mean. You start so, both. Start, well, you, gotta, you, gotta, you have to have Kevin Love as a starter. So he's, Kevin Love's got to be your power forward. So you're not going to put Kevin Love. None of those guys can go to the three. Okay, so you're going to start Tristan off, off of OG respect and salary. And you're going to start Kevin Love. You're going to start right. Tristan as your five. Kevin Love's you're already undersized at mm-hmm. the five, which really doesn't matter in this modern NBA because Tristan yeah, Thompson yeah, yeah. can pretty much rebound with anybody yeah. until he goes to play against Dallas, and Dallas would absolutely destroy him on the boards. But um, and other teams like that who are, mm-hmm. you know, trotting out guys like, you know, like Porzingis and stuff who literally watch Tristan Thompson jump to the highest of heights, and they literally get on their tippy toes, and they're at the same height as far as reach. But, um, yeah, so you start Tristan at your five. Let's do that. Let's project and start at five. So you start with Tristan at the five, Kevin at the four. Mm-hmm. You go Osmond probably at the three. Mm-hmm. And then at the two, you would do uh, – Bayline spoke of letting both of those guys play sex, together. Yeah, I'm about to say Sexton and Garland, you just do that. Yeah, so that 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 could be your team. Like I said, it's still a stretch to get get you the wins that you're looking for, but you know it's no promise to say what the coach wants to look for. Maybe the coach, maybe the coach is looking to do you know some plants or something. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know what the coach is going to figure it out. But yeah, that's that's the thing. We'll have to see what's going on with these guys. Uh, yeah, like I said that's pretty much with the, up to with Cleveland. They're gonna be in a world. They're gonna be in a, a, a mess of trouble. Uh, they got that uh, rookie who's gonna be. He could be a potential sleeper, Kevin Porter, Kevin Porter Jr. Jr. He's yeah. a he's a big guard. He's six six. Been compared heavily to James Harden. Yeah, so we have to see what happens. I mean, he's he's gonna be pretty much in an environment that's gonna allow him to shine if he if he could showcase his talent and see, his skills. I don't know about that. I don't know. Why you say that? I know that he has the ability if given the green light. It's just we have no idea what the hell Bayline is going to do. Do you go out there and, again, mind you, the reason why Cleveland had such big issues last year was because Larry Drew tried to hand over the keys to Colin Sexton. And Mm -hmm. all the veterans started coming out saying things, like intentionally to the media, like, Oh, yeah, this guy, he doesn't even know what he's doing. Do you remember all that stuff happening in the beginning of his rookie year? They were like, oh, yeah, Colin Sexton is out there playing, but he don't know what the hell he's doing. Yeah. These guys like Tristan Thompson and all of the veterans who were really speaking out to the fact that, like, yo, he's beyond a rookie. Like, he's a, you know, like, this is worse than when we had Kyrie. Because mm. remember, Kyrie played his first three years there at Cleveland, and everybody had to go through his growing pains. And yep. they were still only averaging, like, again, 22, 28 wins a game, I mean, season with Kyrie in tow. Absolutely. So, so they've had great perimeter players who've got the green light 
and got all the touches. They've been there, done that. But they've been there, done that with a different head coach. Same front office for the most part, except for obviously David Griffin's no longer there. They got a new GM in place. And I think Dan Gilbert is coming back from, um, from he had health issues, their owner. But long story, they had a stroke. But long story short, uh, yeah, it would, be, it would be storybook if, you know, Bayline says, what I'm going to do is invest in the young talent and allow these veterans to mold these guards to develop to be the players that they're going to be. But in our history of watching and covering the NBA, like the youngest teams to make the playoffs, they're never this young. And when you look at no, their roster, no, no. they have experienced the, the, the rookie word literally is one, two, three, four, five, six, six rookies. Wow. Six rookies on a, and you're allowed to carry 15. So you got mm-hmm. nine guys with NBA experience and six of them have none. All coming together. And one of those guys who's a rookie might be given the keys to the offense. Oh, man. Wow. We're all in trouble. And mind you, the, the rookie who might be given the key to the offense, <laughs> he plays the same position as the guy who got the key to the offense last year. Yeah. There, there's going to be power struggles. There's going to be – you know what? If, if you're not just about basketball, stay tuned to Cleveland for the drama. Because I'm pretty sure there's going to be a lot of body language evaluation and a lot of camera shots of the coach looking crazy, the players looking crazy, Tristan Thompson with his hands doing a Jordan shrug, Kevin Love, you know, with all of his. And I don't like to make fun of um, mental health, but that roster can't be good for his mental health. Mm, mm, mm. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, That's going to be tough. It's, uh, Cleveland's got some really tough sledding, and I don't want to make it to seem like neither you or myself we don't actually like any of the players on the roster. There's quite a few that we spoke of that that we like. Like I'm not saying I'm not a fan of Tristan Thompson just because he's overpaid. I'm not saying I'm not a fan. Of, I'm a big time fan of Larry Nance Jr. He's one of the only guys to put Kevin Durant in his place in the past three years. So you know you, you're gonna get kudos from me when you do that. I like Kevin Porter Jr. I watched the uh, the documentary that they had on ESPN pre-draft, and then I went back and watched his um, his college work at USC. He definitely could stand to not take so many off the dribble pull up jump shots, especially Maybe. ones that especially ones that aren't three pointers. Because James Harden has proven that if you're going to take a pull up jump shot, it might as well be for the three. Mm-hmm. If you're going to just take long twos, then, you know, you're going back to the early 2000 era of basketball. And, you know, that's not really user friendly. Um, I actually like Colin Sexton. I like them. It's just I didn't like his coach. I'm never going to be a fan of Avery Johnson. I don't know how anybody could trust their kid with Avery Johnson to develop him into anything because Avery Johnson was gifted an NBA title. Let's just be real. Mm. Um, yeah, man. He played for that Spurs team that was like the the the, the – the fearsome, like you couldn't, you couldn't shoot against them. Did he, he? Did he start on that team where it was David Robinson and Tim Duncan? Who's like, that again? Avery Johnson. Avery Johnson. When oh yeah, 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 yes, 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 yes. Yeah, he yes, played yes. on that. He played on that Twin Tower team. It was unfair. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like, what did you have to do as a guard on that team? Make a couple free throws every now and then. I mean, Sean. I think Sean Elliott came back and won a title with them with like one kidney. Like, that's how good those two guys were up front. True, true, very true. 
But um, yeah, he's responsible for the development of Colin Sexton. That's why I brought up um, Avery Johnson because I believe he was his coach at Alabama at the time. Um, I don't know if Avery Johnson is still a coach there, but again, Cleveland's got some tough, tough sledding. It's going to be a cold year in the land. Um, shout out to all my friends who are Cavaliers fans who may be tuning into this podcast. Please don't take it as we're slandering. It's just we're giving an honest, respectable, basketball-based opinion on what we think they're going to be able to produce next year. And if they do manage to surpass last year's win total, I would think that would be a moral victory of, of major regard for them. And, um, mm-hmm. yep. you know, I'm not going to lie and say I'm excited to see how it plays out, but I definitely am curious to see what the end result is going to be for the Cleveland Cavaliers. I do think they have some assets that they can use to start building a plan to, you know, get themselves back to some sort of level of respectability. But it's all going to be a matter of – I don't think it's in the players' hands now. I think this is a management franchise now. How they're managed is going to be a big – reflection of what their future is going to be. And that's really my synopsis. So, um, uh-uh. I think that's... Yeah, that's it for Cleveland, man. We gave them we gave them a lot more time than I was expecting. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't, like I said. I mean, like you said, they, they're, pro, they're pros. They, they're, they're in for a tough haul. And, but like I said, they're professionals too. So, they're going to come out there and comp- they're going to try to compete. Try to steal some games here and there. And, mm-hmm. and like I said, they'll probably the Cleveland's management will probably make some trades, if not before the deadline, definitely around the deadline, uh, to try to figure out they're gonna keep building, keep building for the future. They're gonna probably expect them to have a high draft pick because of the the inexperience and the non definitely guaranteed player that's gonna be an all star. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Good luck to them, but like I said, I don't expect. I'm I'm more on the twelve twelve wins. 12 wins this year. Yeah, I mean, I can see where you're coming from as far as, like, the 12-win situation. I I try to err on the side of optimism when it comes to them, especially considering they pulled off somehow 19, because I'm still kind of amazed at the the, the fact that they got to that level last year. But, um, yeah, I mean, our our, our synopsis and our, our mutual analysis is pretty much close to each other, and we definitely do see that at some point. That, that front office is going to have to reach and start looking to see what assets they can get from the players that they have. Because, again, you don't want to have Kevin Love hurt on your roster at that roster number, that mm-hmm. salary number, because then you really can't do anything with him and you have to pay him because he's not going to retire. And even if he does, again, Cleveland's, Cleveland's – this is all going to be about what their management structure is able – with what they've been given – and that's pretty much where I'm going to leave it, man. This is episode 20, Views from the Clutch. We hope y'all enjoyed it. Again, if you have any feedback for us, as always, make sure that you hit us through either leaving a voice note directly on the podcast or hitting us on our Facebook page or Instagram page or sending us an email directly to viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com. Yes, sir. And on that note, and-